Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, joined as always by Blazer's outsider, Danny Morang. Danny? Oh, hi. It's, 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 a, it's a midday. I know we're we're uh, we're taping this at a di- or recording this at a different time than we normally do because we have somebody who is in a different time zone, so much of a different time zone that I had to go to the <laughs> internet to figure out how time worked. So let's go ahead and introduce our Blazers uh, Blazers Edge Australian correspondent, uh, Adrian Bernisich is joining us today. Um, Adrian, welcome. Who's actually coming to us from the future? <laughs> Thanks, guys. It's actually um, Sunday morning here, and I, I imagine it's Saturday afternoon over there. So, yes, welcome from the future. <laughs> Thanks. I, I hope you get everything all settled in a, in a good situation for us. You know, world peace and all that stuff. I'm so hoping to encounter that in a, you know another 12 hours or so. Yep. Well, we are so glad to have you here today because we wanted to find out some more about the um, the friendly games that were being played earlier this week. But before we get into that, I'm wondering, I've always been curious, how does somebody from Australia become an NBA fan and a, in particular a Blazer fan? Well, there's this thing that was created a few years ago called the internet, um, and uh, it uh, it allowed us to uh, to kind of stream things. Um, no, sorry, I'm being I'm being a smartass. Um, so, <laughs> totally fair. I'm sure you get that question all the time. So, totally fair. No, no, that's fine. So, I you um, guys have the internet in Australia? I know. Um, so, no, I think. And last time I was on the pod with Dan, I think it was three years ago now. Um, I kind of explained that um, in the 90s, I kind of took an interest in the Blazers after seeing Clyde because um, he was he was obviously one of the best players in the league and then um, kind of kept an eye on the team. There was probably a bit of a lull during the Joel Blazers era, um, as you can as you might understand. And then when um, when Aldridge and Roy got drafted um, and then Odin got drafted, I kind of piqued my interest again and obviously – Paddy Mills came along, and that was pretty exciting as an Australian. And then I've been uh, I've been a Blazers Edge devotee ever since. And um, so, on the the Paddy Mills thing, what who was a bigger influence on basketball, the NBA in Australia early on? Was it Bogut when he came out of Utah and goes to the Bucks, or did Paddy, even though he wasn't as highly regarded, kind of carry a little bit more just because it was further down the line and there's just a little bit more exposure? Well, if you want to go back further, it's Luke Longley. Um, so obviously, Luke played on those Bulls teams mm-hmm. in the nineties, um, and then obviously Andrew Gage, who's kind of like the favourite son over here, he played on that ninety-nine Spurs championship team. But I don't know whether he got the the um, the credit and the um, yeah the I don't think he was as big over there. But I think once Bogut got selected number one, that really that really kind of opened up the doors. And then um, obviously we've had Patty and now we've got Ben Simmons. Who's, mm-hmm. uh, who's who I, if I wish had a shot would be possibly one of the best players in the league, but <laughs> I think he's working on it. That's just uh, a little something that's a little important in playing basketball. Mm-hmm. I, I want to put you on the spot though. You got, you got to pick Joe Ingles or Ben Simmons. Well, Ben's from <laughs> Melbourne. Ben's from Melbourne, so I have to go with Ben. Okay. Um, Adelaide. So, yeah, I'll, I'll go with the hometown boy. 
Okay, so you said that, you know, there was the internet and that was obviously, you know, an easier <laughs> avenue for you to get into the Blazers than, you know, if we were sending homing pigeons across the um, ocean <laughs> to report the scores. But we haven't always had as fast and as useful of, of an internet uh, as we do now with, you know, the ability to like stream live games and everything. So how did you follow it in the early days, like when you were first getting into it? That's a good question. So, I mean, we, we had videotapes. I know they're, they're kind of, um, they're obsolete now. We had videotapes. Um, we had magazines, like uh, the NBA magazines that were pretty big here in the 90s. Um, and I had, uh, I was a bit of a collector of the uh, the upper deck basketball cards back in the early 90s. And kind of that that often sparked my friend's interest in basketball as well. So it was it was little bits and pieces. We didn't see footage very often, but um the odd videotape was kind of lying around and we we got to see a bit through that when you did get to start watching more games was it everything that you imagined it would be yeah um i, I think um one of my earliest experiences is kind of is watching uh, the Brandon Roy buzzer beater um uh it was i think it might have been against phoenix and i was that was the exhilaration of that and um obviously Point nine was was amazing, and uh, my partner, who's uh, who, she didn't really watch basketball beforehand. Now she's she's well and truly hooked, and sends me um, videos on on social media to say, "Have you seen this? Have you seen that?" So it's um, obviously the internet has, has meant a lot to to Australian basketball fans, definitely. Well, very recently, Australian fans didn't have to have the internet. They were practically in your own backyard. Um, teams getting ready for FIBA, including Team USA, played some friendlies in Melbourne, right where you are located. Is that was that actually Team USA or? <laughs> I don't know. I want to hear about it from you. So it, let's. It's, it's a bootleg scene. version. Come on. <laughs> Go ahead and tell us whatever you want to <laughs> about the game and just about the whole atmosphere around this uh, friendlies tournament that happened. So yes, as you said, I wasn't at the game. I um I kind of decided not to go for tickets once I saw all the players deciding not to come. Um, and that, look, that's totally fair if they don't want to come. It's the off season. It's not an Olympic year. That totally makes sense. Um. But the first game, the, the game where the US won, I um, it was a Thursday evening. Um, I finished work, and my office is actually right next to Marvel Stadium. They, they, by the way, they named that after the comic book franchise. So it used to be Etihad Stadium, named after the airline, but it's only just become Marvel Stadium, which is a, a Australian rules football stadium. But um, as I was leaving work that day, I, I watched all the fans kind of converge on the stadium in their John Wall jerseys and their their Jason Tatum jerseys and their Donovan Mitchell jerseys. And that, look, part of me thought, oh, damn, probably should have gotten tickets. But um, as you've probably seen in the press, even Russell Crowe couldn't even see from from where he was sitting um, in the ground, given the the view of uh, of the court was was kind of obstructed. Um, I obviously watched the game the next day and kind of saw that uh, how how it all went down and. And two days later, obviously, Australia won, which was, was pretty exciting. But I, I kind of kept my um, expectations on the, the game low, given who was playing. Obviously, half I mean, most of the, the USA players that were, were expected to play didn't play, and we didn't have Ben Simmons or 
Ryan Brokoff or Thonmaker or um, a handful of other players as well. So while it was great to see the Australians win, I, I had to kind of temper my excitement knowing that um, it wasn't the best of the best. But look, at uh, the the media here was, at, was over the moon um, and rightly so. Uh, the uh, the fact that we'd beaten the Americans was a was was a real almost like a David and Goliath type situation, and it was really exciting for Australian basketball. And if that if that kind of fosters a new generation of, of basketballers to come over to America and and and, and get on teams and, and do really well, then I guess that's a good thing. Yeah, that's that's the thing I was going to ask you. Like, even if it's you know not the cream of the crop. For Team USA out there in a non-Olympic year, Australia still fielded a pretty decent team. There's plenty of recognizable NBA guys, but more than that, you see a lot of these kids now that are foregoing college and going down there for a year. Obviously, Terrence Ferguson did that, and we've got a couple of the guys this year that are going to do that. And you've got uh, you got Little Ball heading down there, obviously uh, this year. That's got to for for Australia. It's got to be a bit of a boom though, as far as the growth, right? It is. Um, and look, our league during the 90s and the, and the hype of the, the, the Jordan years, the NBL was a really decent standard league. And since then, it, it really has uh, dropped. But I mean, with with uh, with players like Hunter and Ferguson and, and, and Ball coming out here, it, it really does open up opportunities for um, players to take notice of Australian basketballers. And obviously, you've got players like Ben Simmons, doing the opposite. So coming over and, and kind of doing his thing over mm-hmm. there. So American, um, I guess the, the American basketball fraternity is saying what we have over here and, and, and kind of noticing that the basketball is still quite alive um, down under. Are there multiple leagues in different parts of Australia or is there just, is there one big main league and does your town have a team? Yes. So I'm um, the NBL is the one League, um, and it also includes a team from um, from New Zealand, which which is where Hunter is for the next season. Um, I'm in Melbourne, which is um, probably the second biggest city. Well, I think it's the best city, but the second biggest city in Australia. <laughs> so Sydney, Melbourne, um, and Melbourne United are the team here. Formerly, back in the '90s, there were three Melbourne teams. Um, so there were the Melbourne Tigers, the Southeast Melbourne Magic, and the North Melbourne Giants. But now they're just Melbourne United and um, I actually came out – I actually went to a game a couple of years ago where Melbourne played the Sydney Kings and, and um, Steve Blake was playing. So um, <laughs> friend Steve Blake made it out here a couple of years ago. Um, it, it was short-lived, though. He only played it a handful of games and then went back. But, um, yeah, look, the, the league's getting better. It's not where it was, but it is on the way up. The the one uh, Australia basketball tangential thing I, w- I want to ask you about here, the, the, the commentators – that they had for the the Australia USA game were yep. absolutely awesome. <laughs> like I want to see those guys come to the NBA for a season. Like are they like a beloved commentary group down there? I think that uh, I think if it, if it was Dwayne Russell, he's actually um, an Aussie Rules commentator and former Aussie Rules player. So I think there's a lot of crossover with basketball. A lot of um, combination. Obviously Shane Hill. Um, who you might remember played for the Wolves. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew Gaze, who played for the Spurs, um, was on the, on that as well. But um, but I, I think as far as the the play by play guys, they're kind of jack of all trades when it comes to sport. 
It, it was just fantastic because they were talking yeah. trash about both teams. Like <laughs> a bad shot was taken. Like, what is he thinking right here? <laughs> and I was just, well, it was just yeah. very, very different from the traditional sense that we get here, right? Yeah, and and I think I think that the 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 aim of that is to get people um, get Australians kind of more interested, and so I think that 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 style is 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 aimed at actually educating as well as entertaining as well. So I think that that was the that was the point of that. Makes a lot of sense. All right, well, you guys ready to talk about Blazers? Sure. Awesome. They're okay. Yes, I'm going to make you talk about Blazers, Dan. I'm sure that you won't have a problem. (laughs) So I'm trying to figure out what the Blazers are going to look like in the upcoming season, as I'm sure many people are. So what I did is I went through many box, not box scores, but I went through and found some statistics that I think are going to be really interesting to think about in terms of next season, because... While the, there's a lot of the same players in the core of the Blazers, there's also a lot of new pieces. So what I've done is I've gone through and selected some statistics that I'm going to share with you all and have you tell me whether you all think the Blazers are going to go above or below or if it's going to be higher or lower um, and why you think that is. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I dig it. Okay. So, and I have some Blazer-related ones, and I have, like, some specific uh, player-related ones. So we'll start with the overall team-related ones. So last year, the Blazers had an offensive rating of 114.7. That was n- enough, That was high enough to make them number three in the league. Higher or lower this year, and why? Who would like to go first? Oh, go ahead and take it, Adrian. Um, I think higher. Um, purely for the fact that we've, we're, it's clear the team's focused on offense, getting rid of Mo and, and Chief, um, and bringing in uh, more offensively minded players. So I can only imagine that's only going to go up. I can't speak for what the defensive rating is going to look like. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even go there. <laughs> I was like, not even going to bother uh, with it. But I think, I mean, it, it can only go up uh, if if, it, if they play at the same level they did last season. Now, for me, I'm going to cheat right out of the gate. I'm going to say it's going to stay rank-wise about the same. Okay. I think around the league, teams are really abandoning defense. And I think that even if the, the, the number goes up, I still think they're going to be a top five offensive rating team. If you look around the league right now with the, the, with the amount of parity and how, again, how teams are, aren't devaluing defense because of the way the, the the rules are in the league right now with hand checking and legal defense and all those kind of things. Um, rules in the paint that the the spacing is going to be a little bit better, but there's, there's a caveat to that in that we are seeing a little bit of rebirth of the big man and that might slow games down a little bit. So I think that's going to kind of be the, the, the counter to that. So I think that ultimately that holds them in about the same spot. So you think with all with so with all of the new players that are coming, you know, and the focus on offense is going to make the the number itself of the offensive rating, which is which one fourteen point seven, it might mm-hmm. go up a little bit. But you think they're still going to be there? That's not going to necessarily rocket them up to number one because you think other teams are also going to go up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think it was just kind of the way the league is looking right now, there are more teams that can score more efficiently. The talent dispersals a, a lot 
better, I think, right now. There's a lot more teams that have uh, an ability to kind of put points up on the board with regularity. And then you look at a team like Utah, who's a, a defensive-minded team, but clearly they added more offensive firepower to their team. So I think you're, you're looking at that kind of around the league. Um, obviously, the Clippers are going to be a team they're going to put up some points. Um, the, the Lakers have that that opportunity. Uh, you've got young teams like the Mavericks and the, and the Hawks who can easily – you know, be teams that put up a ton of points night in, night out. Uh, but I think it's going to be around the league. It's going to be, you know, first to 120 kind of deal. You agree, Adrian? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree. Look, I, I, I think that that, that number is going to go maybe up from 114 to maybe 117. But, yeah, as far as the pecking order, I think uh, Dan's spot on there will, will remain the same. Wow, three points. That seems like a big jump. But – you know, they've made big jumps before. Yeah. Well, um, Dan, you brought up pace, and that was my next one that I wanted to talk about. So last season, the Blazers' pace was 99.1 per game, which put them at number 18. So a little uh, slightly on the low side of the middle of the pack. Next year, with the new personnel, what do you think? Pace faster or slower? Mm. <sighs> I, again, I, I think I have to cheat. I, I think I'm going to go ahead and say it's going to stay the same. Um, That's a legitimate answer. Staying the same is fine, too. Because th- what they tried to mimic here with bringing in Whiteside is somebody who's a big body who eats up space. And listen, I, I love Yusuf Nurkic. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the league. But Nurk's not running up and down the floor. You're, you're not getting a seven foot 300-pounder to run up and down the floor. And Hassan is about the same damn size. Son's a big, big, big boy, and he is not going to sit there and run up and down the floor all night long. Now, will there be opportunities where they get into their offense a little bit quicker? Sure. Uh, I, I think, obviously, adding a guy like Rodney Hood, who's a more prolific offensive player, but Hood's also not Wes Matthews, where he's a spot-up shooter. He's a guy who needs a ball in his hands to kind of create his own shot as well. And the more you dribble, obviously, the deeper into the clock. And I, so I think the pace, they, they, they stay around middle to sub-middle of the league, which is kind of where they've been uh, in the Stotts-Lillard era. And that, I think, has more to do with Stotts and Lillard than anything else. Adrian, what do you think? Pace, 99.1, faster or slower? I think, I think Dan's on the, on the money here. I think it's the same. But the, the, what I'm going to be looking for is if they give the ball to Simons in the second unit. Yeah. How... How how is that going to change the, the speed of the game? Um, he's obviously he's he's pretty fast. Um, is he working? I mean, obviously, if, if Gasol is playing with Simons, I don't know how quickly Gasol is going to get up and down <laughs> like like Whiteside. Um, but if if he's alongside players like Bazemore um, and Hazonia, I, I imagine that the, the second unit might be a little bit quicker than it was last season. Um, I think overall, as I said, the same, but. I'm I'm really curious to see what Simons does um, and how that 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 offense looks when he's running the play. Oh, I mean, if and similarly with Hazonia, if Hazonia is being given the ball to do that as well. So that's what I'm really focused on. I mean, that second unit really is a wild card. And if you want to believe in uh, summer workout videos, Scal may may have had one of the best summer workout videos I've seen in a while. If you guys have seen it pop up. Uh, He's he's a guy that I've heard that the Blazers definitely wanted to see at summer league and the shoulder injury kind of hampered obviously him getting out there. But quietly, I think he's a guy that could that could campaign for some minutes. And, and he's a big kid, too. But 
his his fluidity as an athlete at his size could allow the Blazers to do some unique things. Like if you had a lineup out there of obviously Anthony Bays, uh, insert small forward here, uh, or you could have Hazonia in there, and you had Scal and Zach out there. That's a that's a pretty quick lineup, uh, and I I wouldn't be surprised if. Simon shows he's capable of being that primary ball handler uh, with having Hazonia and Bazemore as, as secondary creators that we that we see that lineup. Um, there, there's a lot of unique things you can do with that. And you can actually see, like Adrian said, you can see some uptick there because those are all guys that definitely they're all younger for the most part. And usually the younger guys want to get out and run because it's easier for them to score in those opportunities. I, I, I think with Scal, though, I mean, Scal's been promising for years now, though. I mean, from what I understand, coming out of high school, he was going to be the, the next big thing. And obviously he has the skill and he shows it in practice. But, look, he, he did it in that game against Sacramento. But can he? Can that skill translate to, to actual real gameplay? Um, that's that's my concern with Scal. Because mm-hmm. um, I, think, I think he has all the tools, but I don't know whether it's above the shoulders or um, the speed of the game. But I, I'm just – I'm wary of, of Scal's ability to, to, to really contribute. Um, and look, I, I hope he surprises me, but I'm still not quite sure. And that's what makes it fun. <laughs> and, yeah. and you'll be happy to know I have a question about Scal later. Ooh, Scal. What are you, where, what are you Tara? What, where are you putting these guys at? You, you gotta, gotta pick something here. <laughs> well, so when it, when it comes to space, to pace, I think that while Simons has the ability to push the tempo. I'm afraid that he doesn't yet, at least at the beginning of the season, have the experience to do it. So I think that maybe he will get faster throughout that, but I imagine him just needing to be a little bit more careful because they're like giving him this huge opportunity and just going out and going a thousand miles an hour might not be the best course for him. I could be wrong. But if they – Hazonia is kind of the guy that I'm really interested in, and I think he would be ready to push the pace right out the gate. Uh, I just think that with Anthony Simons, it might take a little bit longer to the till the pace goes up. So I'm expecting, probably like you, Dan, that this the pace stays about the same. But I see that for the whole – remember last year at the beginning of the season how incredibly fast the pace was? Yeah, they fooled me again. The a- well, and even like the average league wide, it was it was just like it was insane. so fast. But everybody does that. They all come out and they all want to do everything all at once, and they you know they build on that. Okay, the next stat I have is one of my favorite. Um, <laughs> the Blazers averaged twenty three assists per game, and they were twenty five in the league. <laughs> Very consistent. So I'm really curious about whether or not they have more assists next season. What do you guys think? Uh, I'll uh, I'll go I'll go ahead. I think it's going to be lower, um, because whatever you might say about Evan Turner, that's one that's one element of the game that he did quite well in, and I don't know where the Blazers are going to make that up um, in other parts of the game. So. Uh, I think, unfortunately, I think the team might even drop even further on that one, purely for the fact that um, you don't have to worry about Damon CJ getting assists. I mean, they're not they're not the biggest assist getters in the league, but they're they're still relatively high. I think they're going to lose a bit with the loss of Evan Turner, but I still think they gain in other areas with 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 Turner gone. Yeah, what, what do you think, Dan? Honestly, I'm I'm going to go against you on this one. I think they're actually going to pick up some assists here, and that's predominantly based on the fact that they. While I don't have somebody to the level of Evan, 
they have more creators. Pau Gasol, when he gets out there, is a phenomenal playmaker from the high post. Uh, the other part of this is, is you've got guys, more guys that are consistent finishers. Uh, the Blazers were dead last in corner threes attempted last year by a staggering margin. Uh, I think having guys who are not only capable but willing to take them. Evan Turner took 17 corner threes last year. Mm-hmm. 17. Bazemore in a bad year, I think he took 120. I mean, that's that's a that's, that's opening the floor from just from a gravity standpoint. And then the fact that when you do pass to that spot, it's a, not only a, a good shot, but a likely to be converted shot. I think that's going to open things up for their offense. Um, and so I think we'll see a slight uptick there. Uh, I don't think it's going to be anything insane, but I think they can pick up to where they average about 25. I think that's kind of, and if you look later on in the season, like post all-star break, those numbers did go up. So um, I think with it, also the increase, I, I think that, that they will get slightly faster pace wise uh, as far as not necessarily running, but getting into their offense a little bit sooner uh, and and exploiting options uh, like those corner threes that really weren't there when you had Harkless, Aminu, Turner, any of those two of those three on the floor at any given time. I agree with you on the assist, Dan, because I think they're going to actually get more makes. I think they'll have about the same amount of like attempted assists or whatever you call those. They're but they got shooters, so we I got think shooters. Just based on they have uh, people on the wing who have a little bit better uh, records at scoring, that's going to go up. I mean, they, they were a top ten team in three point percentage last year at thirty six percent as a team. Like it's it, it shouldn't be hard to see them adding more qualified shooters and seeing that number go up to thirty seven percent. From your one, mouth one, to God's ears. I, Let's yeah. go. <laughs> Were you going to say something, Adrian? No, I just said one could only hope. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> I was say it's it's a, it's a Terry Stotts factor. Anytime you add new guys that are that are shooters or non-shooters, they get a slight uptick. So I, I expect Baysmore and, and Hazonia to at least get a little uptick. The next one, the next two, kind of go together, and the first one is free throw percentage. They were at 81.4, which made them number two in the league last year. Up or down? Well, they have us on white side, so it's going down. <laughs> that's <laughs> I forgot about that. That's just the reality of that. Because I was uh, going to go up because I think CJ is going to get even better. Yeah. Uh, the good news is teams did, did not employ the hack of white side. He's only a guy as big as he is. only gets like three or four free throw attempts a game. Which is pretty astounding when you think about it, um, but yeah, I mean he's he's an abysmal free throw shooter, and as long as they keep him off the line, they should be okay. But on the plus side, they have one of the best free throw shooters in the entire league in Damian Lillard. Um, obviously, CJ's a, a a decent free throw shooter. One thing that was kind of not really talked about a lot because really he didn't get to the line too much was Aminu. Aminu was like eighty seven percent last year. Oh, and he was he came through in clutch situations too. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, he was he he had some game winning free throws and, and I looked at it in the clutch, he was significantly better than CJ. CJ had a couple of oof moments uh yeah. from the free throw line. I, I can think of three off the top of my head. I think there was about four or five. Um Speaking but you also of had said, oof for people who don't know, Hassan Whiteside's free throw percentage last year was uh forty four point nine. Which was a slight Sorry. deviation from his normal abysmal. I believe his career before that was like 63 or 64. 
but he was a train wreck from the line last year. Um, again, you're, you're hoping that the Terry Stott special kind of ups that a little bit. But I mean, like Nurk, Nurk was 77, 78% last year, and he had a big time uptick in free throws. And he was a guy who previously was a non shooter, and he was damn near 80% with pretty decent volume. I mean, he was second on the team when he went down. Um, and I mean, you look at the, at the Blazers' free throw shooters, for the most part, they, they're all good shooters. Um, you had a bad number from, from Gary Trent Jr., but he's a stone-cold shooter and really didn't have a whole lot of opportunities. Uh, Anthony's a guy who I think could help kind of lift that up. Another guy, obviously, didn't have a ton of opportunities. But they're also losing Seth Curry, who's money from the line, and Myers Leonard, who's money from the line. So um, I, I don't think it's any stretch of the imagination to say that this number is going to go down. I uh, You pretty much said everything – that I was going to say. Um, <laughs> um, I, I'm curious to see whether Gasol um, lifts that up because Gasol is a very solid free throw shooter. But yeah, look, watching Aminu last year, he was he was surprisingly reliable. The, the one thing you, you mentioned, Nurk. I when Nurk went to the line, I absolutely had no doubt that he was gonna he was gonna get the majority of them. So I, when when you're going from Nurk to Whiteside, I just think <laughs> that's a hard transition. Yeah. The other way is down, unfortunately. So the the next one is free throw attempts. So last year they were at 23.3, which had them at number 13 in the league. So, Adrian, do you want to start with uh, whether or not you think they're going to go over or under on free throw attempts? Um, it's a good one. Um, oh, look, I think it depends on Damon CJ, I think. And who knows? I mean, they... they Teams might employ a hacker Whiteside, and if that's the case, it it go, it goes up. I think I, th- I think it goes up, but I, I'm not too sure at the at the level at which it goes up. I mean, I, I think given the 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 fact that the West is so tight, I can't not see teams employing the hacker Whiteside. Um, and does that mean we see more power or more scale? I mean, I, I, I don't know, but or even I mean, more Collins at the five. But yeah, I think it, I think it goes. I think it goes up. And and that's the thing here too, is that Dame is, is in a class of his own on this team when it comes to generating free throws. He, he's not James Harden, but he's pretty damn good at getting to the line. I think there's a lot of people around the league who thinks he still doesn't get the respect he should when it comes to drawing fouls. I, I can see him early on in the season, really trying to get into the heart of the defense and really trying to get to the line, just to kind of get the season going um, and him kind of carrying that burden. Whiteside doesn't generate as much as Nurkic, but like you said, the, the hack of Whiteside could come in. CJ's a non-free throw generator. Uh, I've talked about it in the past. He's one of the worst free throw rate guys among 20-point-per-game scorers since, I think it was like 74, 75. I think it was like two seasons that are worse. Um, so, so I yeah. actually think CJ is going to improve. I think that's one of the things that he yeah. is supposed to be working on this summer getting to the line and making them in clutch situations. And I think that, so I do think we'll see an uptake in CJ. Well, I mean, it it wouldn't take much, but yeah, it wouldn't take much to see an uptick. That's for sure. Um, But you look at a guy like Simons who could be going to the rim. Um, You look at Rodney hood who likes to have the ball on his hands. Uh, He he likes to create and likes to work in that mid post. Jesus, some opportunities there. 
What about Collins? What do you guys think oh. about his ability to get I, Adrian? What do you think about <laughs> Collins's ability to learn how to get to the line? Do you think he's, you know, in do, does he play enough of a type of role where he does get fouled? Maybe he just that isn't even really his role, or maybe he gets better at it. Well, two points. I, I think he's going to be playing more minutes. Clearly, he's going to be playing more minutes this year, which um, could be an issue as far as fouls go. But I think. Um, I think it's incumbent on him to actually work on that because if he's going to be the starting four, I think he has to. He has to work on that. I think that's a no-brainer. I think he has to almost replicate what what Chief was doing when it comes to free throws last year. And um, he, I just hope he's working on it. I think he. I think he has the he has the skill base there to to do it. It's just whether he can execute. And that feels like something that Powell could really be very helpful with. Don't you think Pau Gasol could be really helpful with little details like that for a guy like Zach Collins? Pau could definitely I'm, flail I'm and teach him out. About, yeah. <laughs> I'm more excited about Pau as, as a mentor than a player. Yes, he's going to contribute, but yeah, I, I hope that it's the best thing that ever happened to Zach Collins. The thing about Zach is his free throw rate last year was actually pretty decent. 0.315. I mean, like, if you're uh, good at generating free throws, it's basically like 0.3 and above. So every uh, every three shots you're generating free throws. And he, like I said, he was at 0.315. But we're talking about limited opportunities um, for him. So typically what you see when you obviously when the minutes go up, the efficiency goes down. So I expect the number to come down a little bit. But the big thing for me in, in kind of projecting him generating free throws is we hear about him putting on all this weight. Uh, he's up to 245, 250, whatever you want to call it. I don't care how much he weighs. Can he finish through contact? Can he go through somebody to get to the rim? Or does he get wrapped up and isn't able to make something happen? It's not just generating free throws. It's generating free throws and those and one opportunities. That's where the real value comes from. Um, and I don't know how many of those opportunities he's going to have alongside Whiteside because Whiteside – when they're running that starting lineup, Dame, CJ, Rodney, Zach, Hassan, I see Zach operating more outside the paint because Whiteside is a legitimate role threat. Zach isn't there yet. And so they're going to want that space for Whiteside. So how does Zach capitalize on those opportunities? And I think a lot of that's going to come from um, offensive rebound putbacks, dunks, and ones, which is where we've seen a lot of his, his fouls come from, to be honest. Um, the other part of this is, I know a lot of people are high on on what we've seen from him because he shows these flashes of brilliance with his with his post footwork. Uh, sometimes it's really sloppy. Sometimes it's like that's very good. If he can get something in that mid post where he can again, this is where Powell comes into play to get guys to bite on a, a little up fake or a little shoulder shimmy or a drop step kind of pump fake spin back kind of deal. Like Powell is notorious throughout his career. I mean. His flails and his flops are legendary. Like it's it's whole body, uh, you know, everywhere. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Zach flop. You guys? He does not seem like the kind of guy who would flop. That's <laughs> kind of what I mean. Like, and so maybe take. Listen, I hate flopping, but until they get rid of it, you've got to take advantage of it. I think he can learn how to sell. I don't think he it would be a flopper, but I think he can learn how to like make sure that he's in the right position for the rest to notice and things like that. Yeah, and that and those are the things that I think that will help him uh, in the long run. And, and, and overall, I think well, from the, the the beginning point of this is I I think the the Blazers' free throw rate as a team does go up a bit. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm just being a bit facetious, though, Dan. Uh, you talk about Zach being more of an outside player. I just go back to 12 months ago when Neil Olshay says, no, we, we're going to move him closer to the basket. Uh, uh, no, he's, he's, he's going to be moved closer to the basket. So I'm <laughs> really curious to see how he and he and Whiteside operate together because Hassan's not going going outside the cave. Yeah. He's not going outside five feet. Like, yeah. That's just- that's that's his prime real estate. Like Nurk can extend that out and hit that elbow shot, and I think that's where you'll see Zach, and sometimes in the mid post, because teams are just going to help off Hassan anytime he's outside the paint. That's just the kind of the reality of the situation. But it is going to be interesting to. See. I think that's one of like the interesting storylines for the season is how they're going to employ Zach. Yeah, that is going to be really interesting to just see where where they go with that. So we're in agreement. Free throw attempts up next season. Yeah. All right. Next one. Um, okay. We got to get into a different frame of mind. Percentage of field goal attempts that are two pointers. Okay. Last year, 66.1% of their attempts were from two, which was number 11 in the league. Do you think they're going to take more or less two pointers? Hmm. That one's a little bit tougher. I think that number actually goes down because, again, you're, you're adding more guys. Anthony is clearly a guy who is going to have a green light. Bazemore is a guy who's going to get probably 22 to 24 minutes a night, uh, and he's clearly more of a shooter than uh, Aminu Harkless or Turner. So I, I think that the, as far as the three-point rate, that goes up. Uh, Zach is a guy that could possibly step out. They add Anthony Tolliver. Pal Gasol's a guy that can stretch out. Um, so I, I think really the only like non-shooter you have on this team, uh, obviously is Whiteside, and then Hazonia. His numbers aren't great, but like at, at this point in time, I, I'm I'm kind of leaning on Terry Stotts here pretty hard. Like, hey man, get an extra batch of that Terry Stotts dust that you sprinkle on new guys. Just go ahead and give Hazonia a double. Um. Because I, I think that having those guys out there could could definitely see the, the two-point rate go down and the three-point rate go up. I'm uh, I'm going to quote Hassan Whiteside and say, we got shooters. We got shooters. <laughs> um, and we also don't have Evan Turner, um, who, <laughs> who is the mid-ranger. Um, so definitely, it definitely goes down. Um, for all the things that you've just said, Dan, um, I'm, I can't wait to see what Bazemore can do, especially from the corner. Uh, and aside from CJ, I don't know anyone else on the team that really is going to be taking that many um, mid-range jumpers. I mean, CJ can obviously shoot the three, but he, he, he also has a little home with those, with those two-point jumpers. But, yeah, I, I think it goes down. Yeah, I was just wondering if any of the personnel that has been added or who will see more playing time are the types of guys who play closer to the rim. Um, and, you know, so we may end up seeing more lobs and dunks, which goes to my next question. But it sounds like both of you are thinking that the amount of two-pointers goes down and three-pointers goes up. Yeah. All right. So the next question, last season... The Blazers made 383 dunks. That made them 15 smack in the middle of the league. Womp, womp, womp. Less dunks. I actually thought they were going to be lower because it felt like eventually that they were taking a lot less. So I was kind of excited that they were at least halfway in the back. <laughs> so more or less dunks next year. Dan, do you want to go? Or- no, no, go ahead. 
so I, I, I on multiple occasions listening on this pod last year, we were, you guys were both talking about how disappointing it was that Nurk wasn't taking more dunks. Um, he I don't was think we on have... pace to beat his record, though, until he went down. <laughs> well, I, I'm just, I was just going to say, with with Whiteside, I don't think we need to worry about that at all. I think that's his default setting, isn't it? Um, I think the dunks go up, and hopefully the lobs go up. So yeah, I, I think I think Whiteside is uh, means more dunks. I think um, I, I even think Kazonia could could kind of contribute in that. In that um, in that department as well, um, I don't. I think you see the same from Damon CJ, and I'm, I'm. I don't really think Hood's that kind of player, but yeah, I think I think Whiteside brings that up. Hmm. I this mean, Jake and Myers are gone. Yeah, and that's 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 uh, where I was going to kind of go with this. Is the number should go up? Uh, before Nurk went down, he had 80 dunks on the season. Whiteside last year played in 72 games. Um, which is nice and convenient. Yeah, which uh, is not bad. And he had double <laughs> what Nurkic had, uh, 157. So realistically, it, it should go up. Um, Zach is obviously a guy who likes the dunk. Hazonia is a guy who dunked LeBron out of a game. Um, so yeah, I mean, and he likes to get to the rim, doesn't he? Okay. He hasn't had a chance yet. I I had a, I had a chance to talk to him about that. Yeah. I mean, he wants to dunk. He, he has not got a chance to dunk in a game yet. And just on the fact that they have a guard now, because I mean, let's, let's go down the list of guys that the Blazers have employed at the one and two for the last, I don't know, 10 years. Addy Mills is not walking through that door and dunking. Andre Miller had wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. Eric Maynard wasn't a, du- a dunker? Huh? Do you mean Eric Maynard wasn't a dunker? <laughs> <laughs> Andre Miller is the last guy I remember outside of Dame at that position throwing down a dunk that took my breath away. CJ had one that was like, okay, that's that's pretty good for CJ. But it's, it's like, oh, my God, once in a blue moon. Um, but, I mean, Wes – not a dunker. I mean, you just go down the list of these guys. Seth Curry, we had a debate whether or not that one he turned over on the top Even of his was pushed over the rim. Lamar was like, ah, I don't know if we can give him credit on that one, you know? So uh, y- you'd think that the number has to go up by adding Whiteside alone. Uh, I-, I don't think Anthony Tolliver is going to go out there and flush it on anybody, but Basemore is a guy that likes to get out and run and throw down a dunk. Uh, but the one I'm obviously the most excited for is Anthony. Uh if he gets a ball on a fast break, he is going to be a guy that is going to do some things that will blow your mind. And then he said he's not going to celebrate at all. <laughs> so um, the number has to go up. I wonder if he learned that from Damien or if that's how he's always been. He said he's yelled in a basketball game twice that he can remember. <laughs> that seems about right. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, he he is about as silent of an assassin as you can have in the or in the NBA right now. Give him time. Well, we asked him if we were if he would give us a Myers flex, and he's like, "Nah, nah, <laughs> I'm not. That's that's not me." Maybe he'll do one of the Aminu screams, just like out of nowhere. All of a sudden, we'll have just stone face, and then just scream, and then back to stone face. <laughs> okay, so where did we come down on more or less dunks next season? More Dan says more. Yeah. More, more. You say more too, Adrian? Okay. Honestly, Anthony's going to give us a reaction. 
I want him to give us the reaction he, we got when Luca hit that stupid corner three. <laughs> the camera picked up Anthony with his jaw dropped, just <gasps> and just held it there for about ten seconds. And like that's that's the reaction I wanted to see him get when he gets like a you know a three sixty windmill off in a game. All right, well I'm ready. I am so ready for that. <laughs> more dunks is more fun. All right, well you guys promised. Perfect. Looking forward to it. All right, now we're going to move on to some player specific stats. Let's start with team captain Damian Lillard. He is the captain, isn't he? I mean, right? yes. Okay, team yeah. captain Damian Lillard, 19.2 field goal attempts per game. Do you think his field goal attempts go up or down? Hmm. Uh, this one's tough. I feel like it goes up, but I think towards the end of the season, it comes back down as the team kind of comes together. But I think early on, I don't think it's going to be out of the norm to see Dame take 22, 23 shots a game uh, to kind of start the season. But then I could I could very easily see that dropping down to 17, 18 pretty, pretty, uh, pretty quickly. So, ah. God, that's a that's a really tough one. I'm I'm gonna say it goes down though in the end. All right, what do you think, Adrian? Well, Dan, I've got a question for you. Um, Dame traditionally doesn't really shoot in the first quarter. Um, <laughs> it's rare. Do you think, given what the team did last season and the need to kind of um, get out in front of this this absolutely brutal Western Conference, do you think that changes? Do you think he starts? Yeah. Yeah, that's, what I was, that's what I was saying. Early on in the season, I think that field, those field goal attempts are going to are going to pick up pretty heavy uh, in those first two months. But I think as Simons comes along, as the team comes together, and that second unit produces more, I think we see Dame revert back to what we've seen here uh, lately, which is him trying to get the team into a groove overall without having to put his print on the game uh, early on. Yeah, I, I think I think it probably stays the same, but I think, as you say, it probably it amps up in the, at the start of the season and it kind of reverts to the main towards the end. And obviously, with injuries, you never know. I mean, he he, he might need to do that um, if a couple of players go down. But yeah, I, I don't think it changes that much. I think I think it's going to go down. I now I want to go look though and look at his history of how of you know, month by month or week over week, how, mm-hmm. it, how it is, you know, if it's, if there's a regular pattern to it, I think overall it's going to be down because he's got a lot of trust in CJ already. And I think he's going to try and demonstrate right from the beginning, that same trust for Anthony I think we're going to see a lot of three guard lineups where it's just going to be, you know, equally likely that any of them will take it. So I kind of think overall it's going to go down a little bit. But yeah, now I want to go see. Which is, it's kind of weird to think about, right? Mm. Like when you're talking about Damian Lillard, like last year in November, Dame was at 20.2. Let's push it out to December real quick. 19.1 and January. 18.9. Wow. That's really consistent. But I mean, you see us, you see a slight downtrend. Barely though. I mean, what finished the rest of the year? Let's see. January. Let's go. February 18.8 and March, which is a short month. That was when Dame went absolutely nuts. Uh, He took 19.8. 
because he shot, I think, what, 46, 40, 92. So that was his highest. That was, I think, when he went bonkers and then closing out the season. Yeah. Holy shnikes. It dropped precipitously. 16.8 in the last two in the last two weeks of the season in April. So you do see it come down pretty, pretty good, except for that one that kind of that post all-star break tick when he seemingly goes nuts every year. Um, I so don't know. I'd call that pretty like good. in the playoffs. What was he? What, what kind of numbers are we seeing in the playoffs? Ooh, playoffs is going to be something vastly different because the usage is going to go up. Yeah. 20.6. He actually, CJ took more 21.9 in the playoffs. Yeah. I think I, I do. I think it'll go down a little bit and I think CJ might go up a little bit next year, you know, because they, they saw so much double teaming of Damien, but they started to work it out. And I know the personnel are different, but now they kind of have a blueprint about what happens with Damon CJ and, you know, insert center, you know, when that situation happens. Yeah. And then adding obviously the additional spacing, I think hoods, obviously a guy who's a candidate for more shots than Harkless has been in the past. Harkless animated. Yeah, exactly. I mean, those aren't guys that are that are getting a lot of shots. So I think you'll see a little bit of a dispersal um, when that all kind of comes together. All right, I'm going to move on to the next one. So we were undecided on Damian Lord taking. We weren't all in agreement on Damian Lord taking more or less field goal. I'm down. You're down. Okay. Oh, we, and I was down. And what were you? Uh, I, I'm staying the same. And you're the same. Okay. So the next question is also about Damian Lord. Last season, he took 50 shots from 30 plus feet, you know, mm-hmm. logo Lillard. Yeah. So is he going to take more or less? I'm going to say slightly more. Yeah. When he does that, not only does he shoot relatively well from there. Yeah. Um, what that does to a defense by having a defender, like if you're putting your primary defender as a, you know, a la the, uh, the thunder where they hid Russell Westbrook, if you're putting your primary defender, 30 feet out. That's a lot of space. That's, that's five feet behind the line. That doesn't sound like a ton probably, but that's a lot more space for an offense to work with. And it's a lot farther for a primary defender to, to recover. And the Blazers employ analytics very, very specifically. There are things that they certainly like to highlight. Uh, and that's why I think you saw them go out and get somebody like Bazemore, who's a corner three point shooter. Um, because of that spacing, that, that gravity that those things create and the openings that those create, like for that, that shot for Damian Lillard is not like Paul George said, a bad shot. (laughs) No, it's a good, it's a, it's a good shot. It's better. It's a better shot than most people have on an average three. That that's how good he is at that. So I wouldn't be surprised to see that number go up slightly because of what that does and how that shifts a defense. I, look, I think it, yeah, it's either going to stay the same or go up. I, the only the only reason I say it might stay the same is because of the fact that we do have more shooters on the team, and he might defer to a Baysmore um, or a Hood or, or what have you. But yeah, I, I, I think it's either the same or goes up. It definitely doesn't go down. Where, where, where are you, Tara? I think I'm in agreement with you. I think the only I I think that that is a statement for him when he takes those shots. Now, it's like, tone setter. 
the the I think I don't know if you called it before the game, but when you described like his very first shot to open up the playoffs against mm-hmm. Oklahoma was yeah. that shot from basically the logo. Like he said so much with that one shot and it like wrote the book for what happened for the rest of the series. And so one of the things I wonder is has has that story now already been written and it's in everybody's playbooks and everybody just knows that Damien's going to do it. So he doesn't have to do it as much. They just already think that he's going to do it and just the threat of him doing it. And so him not wanting to like, you know, risk misses, you know, and actually, you know, taking the time to weigh whether or not he wants to take that shot in that situation, possibly it goes down. But I also think that, it's not I, – I don't think it's the, the number of times he takes that shot. It's the timing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's when that's needed. Um, so he might, not ta- he might not take more, but he'll take them in times where the team needs a bit of a boost or they're on a roll and it's, it's, it's a way for them to kind of capitalise on that. So I think he's going to pick his moments to take that shot. While he might have the opportunity to take it um, more often, he might not take it. He'll only, he'll only do it when – um, it's needed. Yeah, I think who he takes it against is going to be important. Like you, you can bet he's going to take that against Houston. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he he's a poet, right? He's a musician and a poet, so like he knows, you know, the words that he writes. And this is just like a different kind of kind of way of writing poetry. Is like this is my message to you, and you can be sure he's doing it against uh, Harden and Westbrook. And, and, the, and the thing with it is, is like we've talked about this a lot on the, on the pod over the last couple of years, Tara, is the Blazers are a team that are kind of boring in a sense that they're very steady and the highlight plays don't necessarily come where you expect them to. There aren't a lot of dunks. Like the one thing I, I loved about Myers and I, and I still love about Nurk is that they seemingly know when I need to throw down a dunk and get the crowd going. Dame's the guy who seemingly knows at all times when the moment needs that shot. Mm. And it's not necessarily even just the, 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 the logo Lillard threes. Let's go back to opening night last year, the dunk off between Dame and LeBron. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. that was. I forgot about that. Yeah, but I mean, he knows when to get the crowd going. He doesn't do it all the time because physically He's a 6'1", 205, 210-pound guard. Like that's that's a difficult feat for him to do regularly. But what he can do is make you look really stupid when you don't pick him up at 30 feet. And I think that's something that he has in his bag for momentum plays, but he also has in his bag as a a blank you kind of play. Like before the momentum's even needed. Like let me go ahead and snuff out any hope you had of, of stopping this run. Like he always seems to do it to, to either start a run or to cap a run. Like, mm. like what do you do? Like the, the team just ran off 11 straight on you. Like, okay, we're going to get back and, and they get, you know, they get back on offense and, and they get a bucket and they feel like, all right, we're back in this. Dame comes down and, Defenders looking over his shoulder, trying to communicate, trying to figure out where the screen's coming from. And before he even turns his head, Dame elevates and pulls. And you're like, ah, crap. And you, you know it's going in. And Dame's already walking the other way, bobbing his head like, yeah, you should have known better. And now it's a 14-2 run, and you're you're back worse than when you were the you were possession before. And so I, I think that that number is something that I can easily see him take one a game. Easily. I, I just think that's – that's that's right there. Like, I, I guess that's going to be my thing this year. 
because last year I said Nurk should and and will be able to dunk once a game, and he was about on pace for that. Uh, he fell a little he fell a little slow uh, after All Star break. He yeah, slowed down. But I, I think that's something from Dane that we could see. And, and this is just me again taking a shot in the dark. But I feel like that's something that they can capitalize on uh, throughout the year. That is what this podcast today is about, taking shots in the dark, because we're just so excited for season to start. I mean, it's still, still August. It's not September yet. I don't I don't, I don't want to take too many shots in the dark. It's actually September here, Dan. <laughs> oh, good one. Shut up. It's really spring here. Today is the first day of spring, so. Um, God, that's miserable. It's going to be fall here. <laughs> it's been a pretty dreary winter here. I tell you what, it's been cold and wet, so. I only want to hear about your Celsius. all right speaking of celsius actually not really um zach collins (laughs) 1.63 three point attempts per game more or less is this field goal is this three point attempts Uh, three point attempts sorry 1.6 last year it stays the same maybe a slight uptick i just i think that there there are more guys that are more capable shooters Mm -hmm. um more of a resume now if he looks more like he did to start last season for a longer portion of the season, maybe that goes up, but I, I, I don't see him getting, I don't see him getting north of two. So let's put it that way. So maybe a slight uptick, but I, I think two's kind of like where he's going to sit. Cause let, let's, let's, let's see. I mean, you look at the per game averages last year, the only guys above two. Um, yeah. Two's going to be a tough number for him to get up. Uh, especially with with somebody like Simons uh, getting out there. Let's see, Aminu was three point five. Harkless was two. I mean, do you do you like Aminu is more reliable? But do you see Zach getting more than Mogot realistically? Well, so I had a hard time trying to figure this one out because on the one hand, you know, do they want to have Zach start to take on the appearance of a guy who can spread the floor? You know, a big who is a stretch. You know, who mm-hmm. can get out there. And take those shots. And the only way that they're going to be able to, you know, advertise him as that is if he actually does it. But on the other hand, like you said, there's other three-point shooters. So, I don't know. What do you think, Adrian? I think uh, I think the re- that you can't play Zach next to Hassan too deep. I think that number's probably going to go up. I'm sorry. I'm going to disagree with you, Dan. But it's going to go up to, what, 2.1. I reckon that's my prediction. Right. Um, I just you, you can't have Zach and Hassan playing too close together. And I think... The plan will be for Zach to move out and, and take a couple of more shots. All right, we're ready to move on. CJ McCollum, thirty-three point nine minutes per game. Do you play does he play more or less? Got it, good, Adrian. Thirty-three point nine. I think it's probably a little bit lower. Um I think Baysmore and Wood will get run at the two. I think Simons will get run at the two. Um actually Dan, I think I think a few months ago I kind of projected to you. The, the minutes break down and, mm-hmm. and we had a quick chat. I, I, I don't think McCollum gets more than 33, and I reckon it sits around the 32 mark. Um, I, I mean, I mean it, it also depends on whether they want to play Gary Trent at all um, as well. But, yeah, I, I just think with Baysmore, Hord, Simons, and Lillard playing the two, I don't see it going up, and I, probably, I, think, it, I think it stays around 32. Yeah, that's, that's the number that I landed on when I did my projections. Uh, I realistically, I, I think CJ's minutes are going to come down. Uh, they're they're going to force feed Ant minutes. Um, and, and they're going to see how he handles that. Now, that could definitely see some adjustment. 
But like you said, we're going to see Dame at some two. We're going to see Hood at some two. We're going to see Bazemore at the two. I mean, they have a lot of opportunities. Like you said, Gary Trent Jr. may, may show flashes in camp that says, you know, he gets the the Jake Lehman minutes. Um, like, hey, let's throw a shooter out there and see what, see if it sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, realistically, I think that's going to play a part here. Uh, and we'll see a, a drop down from CJ's minutes, which realistically I think is okay. Like, don't get me wrong. CJ's a great player and I want to see him out there for uh, – as, as long a period as, as possible. And he's a guy that typically leads the league in, in distance traveled and all that kind of stuff. But uh, less wear and tear on a guy um, is never a bad thing as long as you're getting the production from somewhere else. Yeah, I agree. I believe, as I've said before, this is going to be the hashtag season of CJ. It's coming. Everybody get ready. Uh, but I think, and, and I think that he's going to be working on thing on playing more physically. He's talked about trying to, do some of the more physical stuff that Damian does. And I think, you know, as somebody who's played in the league for a while, isn't getting any younger, having a, you know, a minute or two less will help him prolong himself throughout the season. And I think, you know, Damian and CJ obviously are not old by any means, but to preserve their long-term health and, you know, the health of throughout the entire season, I think we see his minutes go down. All right. Two more. Hassan Whiteside. 11.3 rebounds. Does he get more or less? Ah, that one's, that one's a more. <laughs> he, uh, I think, well, is it a more that easy now that I think about it? If the three-point rate's going to go up, his rebounding may go down. Typically long shots, longer rebounds. That's why you see some uptick in rebounding around the league from a lot of wings and forwards and even some guards. Uh, but realistically, I mean, but then he wants all of them. Yeah, he does want so, all it? of them. So it, it should go up. So I'm, I'm going I'm to go ahead and go. It goes up. It seems too um, easy. I'm going with that. Yeah. I, I'm. Uh, it depends on Zach, to be honest. I, 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 uh, I wonder what the increased role for Zach means as far as rebounding. I probably It probably goes up a smidge. But I think with Zach and Powell... And I mean, to a degree, I think I think Hazoni is a pretty decent rebounder as well. Uh, I think it probably probably a little bit higher, but not, nothing too drastic. A little bit higher, and Dan a little bit higher. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm not really worried about Zach taking too many of the rebounds. Zach has a has a lot of different skills in his bag. Um, rebound rate just hasn't been something that's that's shined incredibly well for him yet. So, and, and again, how they'll employ him and, and where he's at offensively and defensively, I think are going to play some, some factors in that. But Whiteside has such an obscene rebounding radius. Like it, he just seemingly has a magnet attached to the ball and he just gobbles them up. So, uh, yeah, I, I just don't think he's going to, you know, see any drop off realistically. <laughs> I mean, he just finds a way. That would be, uh, as long as there's not a bunch of crashing into each other under the uh, basket. That's oh, that's the, happening. You know how I feel about that. I think him and Hazonia are going to crash into each other a lot. I think there may be some at the beginning, but I think they'll get it settled. Yeah, the beginning of the season is going to be a wild card. He's traded at the deadline as well. <laughs> oh, you think there'll be a trade at the deadline? Very oh, curious. No, 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 don't you do it. <laughs> some boys just waiting to come home <laughs> all right but we got to get through this because we got we've gone on along all this has been a fantastic uh fantastic discussion but the last one i have for you guys is about scal scal vca 
So last year when he did play, he played 22 games. He had played eight minutes a game. So I'm not asking about how many games he's going to play. I'm saying when he does play, how much do you think Scal is going to play? Eight minutes more or less? Give me more. Give me more Scal. I'm, I'm, I'm an early adopter on Scal Island. I, uh, he's a guy that, like Nurkic, came to the game late. And I know we talked about a little bit in the beginning of the pod about how the skill is certainly there. I, I've, I've always been a believer that he, with given the opportunity, he can figure it out. Um, and I, I think Portland sees something in him. And I think he's going to be a guy that, you know, every year there's that story of, of a guy who gets not necessarily a ton of minutes, but gets more minutes than everybody saw coming, right? Uh, kind of the folk hero player. I think Scal can be that guy this year, and I, I hope that he is. And I think that when he does get on the floor, um, he's going to have a, a a longer lasting impression than the you know handful of minutes he was getting per game when he was out there. So I'm going to go ahead and say more. Um, the Blazers also saw something in Caleb Swanigan, so we need him. They gave him minutes, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say more, but with a caveat because if if it doesn't go well earlier in the season, I think he. He's he's either in straight closer at the end of the bench because I think as I said earlier, um, he has all the tools, he has the skill. It's whether that can translate to to real competition, um, and I'm still yet to see that. Yes, he he did a great job against Sacramento, but that game was just weird for all types of reasons. Um, so yeah, more but with a caveat. Okay. Well, I'm going to go with more, and I'm going to go one further and say he's going to average 12 minutes because there is going to be a period of time, or there may be a period of time, that Terry Stotts decides that Scal needs to get the Noah Vonley treatment. I think I've said this before, where he plays six minutes at the beginning of the game and six minutes at the beginning of the second half, and that is what I think is going to happen with Scal. I think this is Scal's year for that. How long it goes on, I'm not sure, but... I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. I just have a gut feeling. Just as like it's going to be the season of CJ, we're going to see Scal starting some games. Is that what um? Is that what Nate Duncan calls the Keith Bogans minutes? <laughs> it yeah. could be. I call him the Noah Vonley treatment. Well, you guys, we got through all of the stats. Has anybody thought up any other ones they'd like to bring up and throw out to the rest of us? I think I mean that kind of covers it. For the yeah. most part, just kind of discussing like the ins and outs, offensively, defensively. <sighs> I, I think if you're going to see one, I'd go with blocks, and I'd see the uptick for for Zach. Um, but outside of that, I think that's probably it. I, the big one for me is going to be the three point attempts. Mm. You know who's who's really generating them. Because like when you look at it, of the guys they lost, like Myers is one point eight, Moe's two, Jake's two and a half, um, Seth's three point four, uh, Minu's three point five. What's that? About twelve, fifteen attempts. Oh, and it's all kind of put together. Like that's not a small amount. Um, so to replicate that and then to also generate more. So. Uh, those opportunities are certainly there. And I think that's that's the, the, the overarching theme for this team this year, opportunity. In, because there are a lot of opportunities up and down the lineup. Like outside of Damon CJ, there is opportunity 
for basically everyone. Like Hassan Whiteside and Kent Bazemore are playing for the next contracts. Zach's playing to see if he can get paid to be a starting caliber forward. Uh, Rodney's playing for his next deal. Simons is playing for his potential future as the face of this franchise. Hazonia's on a reclamation project. Pow doesn't care. (laughs) But I mean, like you look up and down this roster, there are a ton of opportunities to be had. And I think the variance for those opportunities for the first time in a very long time, say what you will about Chief, Harkless, Turner, the variance wasn't there. Like people, oh, they're inconsistent shooters. Like, yeah, well, they're consistently inconsistent. So you you know how that's going to go. But night in, night out, you knew what you were going to get. There's a lot of guys on this roster right now where you don't know how they're going to react and what the output is going to be. So I think that that's the big thing for me is all these opportunities up and down the lineup and who is willing and able to take advantage of those and who falls short of that measuring stick. I just got this visual of like a big like ship on the ocean, the great ship opportunity and that <laughs> sailing, sailing out into the ocean. And that is crashing the, into the sea. Stop wall. it. Stop it. Stop it. Dan. <laughs> is the ship called the Titanic? <laughs> Dan, stop it. I'm going to cut that whole part out. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to end <laughs> with, with the blazers sailing uh-huh. into the future on the great ship opportunity that does not crash. It is a very sound vessel. Uh, and yes, that's how we're going to, that's how we're going to go out on this. But anyway, I thought this was really fun. I hope you guys enjoyed doing this. I hope the listeners enjoyed it. Adrian, thank you so much for, uh, going through this with us and talking to us about what was going on in Australia. Uh, Anything you want to add or would you like to just tell us how we can find you on the internet? If anybody wants to have late night um, Australian uh, NBA discussions. Let us know what Um, you're having for Sunday brunch. (laughs) I'm actually about to head off for Sunday brunch, actually. Um, (laughs) I I, am. I just, uh, I just wanted to thank you guys for having me on. Um, it's it's a real um, it's a real thrill for me to to be able to talk about this stuff with you and, and be involved in Blazers Edge, um, even, even though I'm on the other side of the world. Um, and uh, it's, uh, it's I, I listen to you guys most weeks, and it's and it, well, every week actually, and um, it, it's uh, it's it's great to be able to chat with you about the Blazers, even though we're kind of this is the the heart of the dog days. Um, on Twitter, you can get me at a Bernisich, um, which is my first. First initial in my last in my last name, um, and you find me uh, periodically writing things on Blazers Edge. But aside from that, um, yeah, no, really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for listening to us and for joining us today. And also thanks to all of our listeners for listening to us, for sticking with us through the summer. Worldwide. Yes, worldwide. We need like a worldwide theme song. Uh, Let's see. You can find me at TCB Biggs on Twitter. You can find Blazers Edge at Blazers Edge on Twitter. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, if you haven't already, go to uh, look for Blazers Edge on whatever podcast catcher you use and subscribe there you'll get the weekly podcast as well as the women's hoops and talks you can also follow women's hoops and talks on twitter at hoops and talks dan why don't you take us out of here all right folks you can find me on blazers outsiders every thursday night in the off season at 6 30 nbc sports northwest and once i'm off all of the painkillers back writing regularly <laughs> as uh, as things progress through the summer i'll be writing more and more and more uh, something about being non-ambulatory makes you not want to write just all those thoughts of that movie misery and it just kind of float through your head 
Yeah, people really probably have no idea what you're talking about, Dan. You have a, a leg injury, and so you're pretty much confined, which is a bummer, and I hope it gets uh, better soon. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one of those just things co- that happens when you get washed. <laughs> I wouldn't know about that. Yeah, I, I was preemptively washed. I was pre-washed. Let's just go with that. Uh, other than that, uh, we've got some cool guests coming up. Obviously, this summer we've had... Uh, uh, Anthony Simons, uh, Mara Baptist, Casey Holdall. Um, busy booking the next crop of guys for the show. We have a few more players coming in this summer, hopefully before training camp starts. So stay tuned for that. And we should have some announcements uh, for next season coming out here pretty quick. Uh, so for Tara, Adrian, myself, thanks for listening, guys. We'll get, we'll, we will catch you all next week. And bye. Bye. <laughs>